Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hat smiley face. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the China Shop. We are smashing open the doors with Eric from ES Invests as he joins me for this midweek update. How are you doing today, Eric? London. I don't know if you noticed, but I'm still hitting the hard Ks just for you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, How's your week going today, man? A lot of crazy action today in the markets. Dude, super boring. We just out here chilling. Oh. <laughs> Rewiring a house, I think I heard you say. Yeah, the the house is getting a bunch of work done on it. Um I'm and yeah, the, the portfolio is kind of I don't want to say set it and forget it mode. I, I did have some interesting trades earlier this week uh with Moderna. I got really directional um on Monday and it actually paid out really nice on tuesday um but other than that 
yeah, it's been mostly trading my, my typical stuff. Maybe did you pay attention to any of the economic stuff that came out today, the CPI or um, FOMC minutes? Yeah, I didn't look at the minutes, but for CPI, I always like to keep keep an eyeball on it. And it was interesting because core CPI came in in line with forecast, but um, regular CPI came in just a little bit low. It sounded like housing was still up a little bit uh, more than expected. Uh, I was thinking that we should be starting to see that start to drop here soon. Um, maybe that was May we're supposed to be seeing that. Hard to say. I think in general, real estate has behaved really interestingly against like the broader, yeah, the like the broader landscape of what we're in. I don't think a lot of people have expected it to behave the way it has. Where even right now, it's still maintaining like relative strength, and interest rates have not abated much at all. No, and I think that just goes to show how much of a shortage there actually is because every time it starts to come down a little bit, it seems like buyers are stepping in and mortgage applications are are rebounding like as soon as there's any dip in prices. Yeah, I I was looking at uh, some inventory metrics actually and what like I I I think inventory overall is pretty like it went through an ebb and flow and it definitely has started turning around because it's, what was it? December, 2020 inventory was like at a 55 month high and it's essentially oh. just, yeah, it's crushed since. Huh? I didn't realize it had been that, that high even massive. Yeah. Huh? I wonder what the, I mean, I guess, COVID kind of played a part in a lot of uh, rates. some of that, or at least the exodus from like the cities, but yeah, well, that's a big part of it. And I mean, that's, I, I bought my current house that I live in now during COVID because of where rates were at. So there's also people like me that kind right. of hunt this stuff for ideal leverage scenarios. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. You probably, yeah, uh, probably got a pretty good interest rate going on that house. <laughs> yeah. It's 2.875. 15 year or 20, uh, 30, 30. Damn. That's fucking great rate. You must have friends. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's uh two, eight, seven, five. Um, and I mean, the one, the house, when we bought it was, uh, I think we bought it for 1.55. Um, so I mean, even mm-hmm. on like a, on a, on a jumbo loan, it's still, you know what I mean? Like the, the rates were just absolutely yeah. incredible. Yeah, it's probably going to be a long time before we see that again. Oh, I mean, it literally could be forever. Like, it, we might not see that again. Yeah. I think people got way too used to low rates, and they thought even, you know, before COVID, rates were good, but they weren't nowhere. You know, there was no near that good. Yeah. I mean, I was just talking to Sue not too long ago about interest rates, and I remember her saying how, how when it first hit five, when she was first getting into like the mortgage industry, she went through and refinanced everything. She thought, never see that again. Right. <laughs> that yeah, was like, exactly. what, like 15 years ago? Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, if you you didn't pay much attention to the minutes, um, I was just kind of reading up on some of the, the commentary on it. There was a couple of things that kind of stuck out to me uh, in the uh, the changes that were uh, in the statement. 
the biggest one was at the very end where they had previously said the, they referred to the need for, quote, ongoing increases. They changed that phrasing to indicate that more rate hikes may be, uh, quote, may be appropriate. So it sounds like they're starting to soften their stance uh, in that regards. Um, and then there's also a bunch of Fed speakers that seem like they're coming on and um, basically saying that a mild recession is now likely to happen this year. Pretty sure we are in or were in one already, weren't we? Dude, that was actually one of my most interesting recent dives into economics. It's like, you know, I know everybody likes to joke about it. It's almost like everybody likes to joke about Jim Cramer being, you know, awful or whatever. And then during the recession, right. everybody was joking like, oh, obviously we're already in one. But I spent actually quite a bit of time like truly looking at previous recessions and trying to understand like what what are the no shit hallmarks of a recession? And looking back, you know, I... I genuinely believed that we were in one objectively again, not in the, Oh, the Fed's just changing definitions, you know, just being snarky. I genuinely thought we were in one. So I, I thought don't, so too, I don't, just based yeah, on, I, I mean, the, yeah, but based on the fact that there was no easy money, the stock market correction, I had hit bear market territory. And then you combine that with, um, the shrinking GDP over two quarters. Like I thought that was the main benchmark. Yeah, I, I really was kind of surprised. So to, to me, you know, it almost seems like maybe this is just when they'll acknowledge it or whatever. But yeah, to me, it seems like we've kind of been been in one. Is that what uh, your research showed? Like did everything, did past recessions look similar to what we experienced at the beginning of, or God, when would that have been? At the end of last year? More or less. Yeah, more or less. Because the one thing they kept always pointing to is the super strong uh, job or labor market. Like, have we seen another scenario where we had recession-like conditions, but with a strong labor market? It's not. It starts getting into a lot of detail real quick, because if we think about the concept of a strong labor market, are we defining that simply based on unemployment? Or, um, right, that's another great point. Yeah, because there's certain starts, sectors that are seeing growth. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So it, you'll very frequently see like strong job markets leading into recession, but while it's uh, undergoing the quality of jobs. So you again, you're turning me into an economist, which is what I hate. Um, one because I'm grossly unqualified, <laughs> but to um, some of this stuff's tradable, some of it's just general interest. But one of the things that starts to happen is um, when we have these changes in unemployment, you have to pay attention to average work hours, average salaries, average income, uh, average debt, because yeah. there's a lot of quality changes. It's, you, you know what I mean? It's kind of disingenuous to bubble up a labor market to simple unemployment. Right, right, right. No, that makes perfect sense. And I think that just goes to speak to the complexity of the economy. There's no simple metric then that you can use to point and say, this is, this is, uh, A is true. So B is true. Exactly. Uh, you can't really yeah. make those kinds of correlations. Yeah. 
That's exactly it. And it's, and it's always a bummer because, you know, we joke about this and I think it's true. Like traders in general, who wouldn't want a clean, neat, simple answer that explains what's happening. That sounds great. You know, it's just, it's really unfortunate <laughs> yeah. that that's, that's so difficult to actually come by. Right. Right. Sounds like an indicator. <laughs> the quest for the perfect yeah. indicator. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, now that we got all the news crap out of the way, you want to talk about anything trading related? Yeah, dude. What uh, what have you been trading? Well, I have been spending uh, the rest, of the, most of this week, trying to do some self improvement type stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, I started after hearing your fantastic conversation with Rich, and then after he offered our listeners uh, for the Trade Runners uh, mini series, the guided meditation stuff, I decided to go ahead and give one of those a try. And if you can get past like the feeling of being like just self-consciousness, like, hey, this feels silly, uh, and then just kind of dive into it and like try to like really take it in and experience it, like I can see some some real benefits to it. Uh, but one of the things that I was using that time to kind of meditate and focus on was trying to come to a better understanding of why why I'm so drawn or tied or I don't know what the right word is. Like winning is important to me, like too important to the point where like every losing trade, like feels like the hope and dream of success slipping away kind of thing. Yeah. And I know that's not, I know that's not good for my trading because I shouldn't be that tied to every individual outcome. I should be tied to the, the long-term efficacy of whatever system or setups I'm trying to trade. Right. Yeah, I, and I and I think that that's exactly right. And essentially, what it tells me, since you're feeling that, at least again in my grossly unqualified position, but what I would surmise is you don't trust the system. So as you see things starting to slip away like that, why 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 wouldn't uh -huh. it concern you if you don't actually trust the system? I, right. I would be concerned too. That's interesting. The only way I think a trader can get to the I think the only way a trader can get to the point where they can look losers in the face and genuinely not care or genuinely laugh at them mm -hmm. is if you genuinely believe in your system. But I think unless you can do that, you're always going to be on edge to some degree. And if you don't trust the system and you see losing trades, it starts to further bolster the already lack of foundation, right? Mm -hmm. You're not confident in it. Now you're getting negative confirmation bias and you're seeing this future hopeful outcome slipping away. Yeah. So I totally get it. No, I think that's, that's a hundred percent spot on. So confidence in the system is uh, something to focus on. And that's kind of where my head was telling me to, that I needed to spend more time doing back testing, proving out the setups that I have, maybe developing some new ones to take advantage of some different types of market conditions. But one of the other kind of interesting self-discovery moments that I had was while kind of reflecting on this. Like, I also wonder if my need to win too isn't tied to a little bit of insecurities in myself. And I haven't really fully fleshed that out or explored it, but that's just something that kind of popped up while I was kind of thinking about it. I think... I would still, that could be the case. Personally, I think it's, there's, I think there's a balance mm -hmm. for traders because if you start tying too much psychology in with trading, now you like you've created a mental soup that's tied to a quantitative performance driven scope, which is really difficult. 
because what what I would argue there again is like totally agree with you because this is why we see the disposition effect in traders where we have a tendency to let losers run and cut winners too short is because of exactly this. Mm -hmm. Like uh, whether it's inadequacy, it all comes down to some level of ego. We don't like to be wrong. We want to be right. But again, going all the way back to the first point, if you have a system that you trust and you know it's going to make you money, the name of the game isn't to be a 100% accurate trader. The name of the game is to make money. Yes. So it's why I have no problem coming on and talking about having at times a 30%, a 40% batting average because it, it literally doesn't right, matter. Right. As long as the expectancy is there, that's it. So to me, even that that secondary concept that you're talking about where you feel like there's some inadequacy there, the that inadequacy falls away as you're making money. Mm -hmm. As soon as you start making good money, you stop caring about that. <laughs> What's well, funny, like most of the doubts started coming in as soon as I was like on the path to passing this eval. It was it's kind of funny. It was like a whole new set of circumstances that I hadn't yet experienced yet, I think. Like it was easy to say that I'm just going to follow this setup until this count either passes or fails, but when it's failing, it's easy to just keep doing it. Uh but when you you know revamp make your tweaks, start the next month and do it again. And now suddenly you're halfway there to your goal. Then all of a sudden you start getting a lot more uh, trigger shy. Of course. And I think that ties in exactly with what you're saying about the the confidence. I, I don't have enough confidence in what I'm trying to do. I, I think that th that's exactly it. And it's, and this is why I think paper trading is so mm -hmm. important, man. Like, I still paper trade a lot now. Oh, that's all and I've been doing. it's because, unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, especially as like a retail trader, if you, if you think that you're going to develop, one, the skill set, but more importantly, confidence in a system, and if you think that you're going to do that within a year, you are grossly mistaken. Mm -hmm. And it's because think of any other highly skilled endeavor that we try to do. You might get good at it, but you still don't really pick it up for some time. How long does it take you to learn how to play the piano? And that's not even like a similar skill. I actually have no idea. I've never tried. I, I bet you it'd take uh, probably a good year to get good at it. Like to the point where you could like improv. Like how long would it take you to get to that point? Well, me, it would take me a fucking eternity because I'm awful too. at the arts. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very difficult. Yeah. Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. 
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. So what's the uh, so how do you build that success or that confidence in your in yourself and your setups? Think of it this way, like a better analogy, I think, at least the way that my brain works is and I, I don't really know the equivalent in the Navy, like in terms of like when you do your job, like what the kinetic aspect. So like when you were in the Navy, what was the kinetic aspect of your job where like you had to be able to perform? Otherwise, it was bad if you didn't, essentially. Um, I mean, it was more just like the grind, like the days are long, but the weeks are fast kind of mentality. Like you just get through the day, go to sleep and it'll be another day shorter. So there was no like kinetic event though, where like, if you didn't get this task right, then either people could die or like there's big problems. Uh, there's so many fail safes on like a nuclear sub that one mistake is unlikely to cause that kind of damage. Uh, and then most of those types of events okay. are going to be a lot more closely controlled. So uh, not really. No, I wouldn't think so. Like it's more just the the grind of trying to get well, through a patrol. Sure, sure. Because what I'm highlighting here is it goes back to the concept of building confidence. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways that we we breed confidence in Marines is we train them. Mm -hmm. And what we do is we apply a crawl, walk, run kind of you're building on skill sets and we really emphasize brilliance at the basics. And the reason why this is so important and the reason why this training is so effective is because once you get supremely confident at your capacity to execute certain tasks, when things become uncertain or when things become kinetic, you have a pretty high level of training to fall back on and that confidence enables you to pivot. You say, okay, um, I typically, you know, when we're clearing rooms, we almost always try to have at least, at the very least, two people. Mm. In this scenario, we're too spread out in this building and we don't have two people. But I've done this thousands of times I know how to do it. Right. And I think if I pie this door before I go in and clear out the center 70% of the room before I enter, I can clear these corners fast enough to keep my dude safe. Yeah. So long story short, there's a lot of training that goes into enabling that kind of comfort operating under uncertain circumstances. I take that back to trading. Yeah. And I love that phrase you use, the brilliancy at the basics. And I'm kind of, I'm curious, like what are the basic skills that you think every trader should have developed? I would actually turn the question on you first. I have a pretty clearly defined list myself, but I think before I share mine, um, what, what comes to mind for you? Like if you think about what are the requisite skills for you to feel supremely confident in the market, what would that look like for you personally? I think at the top of the list, the skills that I would highlight would be pattern recognition and risk management. Uh, just the two off the top of my head, I can think right now. Um, yeah. So I think, I think that that's the, the right path. Mm -hmm. So obviously for your style of trading, pattern recognition is really important. Mm -hmm. um, the problem is with even your style of trading, 
even if you have very good pattern recognition, you're still going to have a bunch of losing trades. Yeah. So that only gets you so far. Right. So to me, what I would like, if I were to put myself in your shoes, the very first thing that would give me supreme confidence is risk control. Yep. Knowing that every single one of these trades, no matter how bad it goes, doesn't matter. And I would even take it a step further. If you notice yourself getting gun shy over several trades, depending on if you're winning or losing, and I would go back to that risk control and say, okay, even if I lose 10 trades in a row, which has happened 15% of the time I've been running this strategy in total, I still would be okay. You know what I yeah. mean? So it's like quantifying mm -hmm. the scenario, but then also tying it into whatever the risk control is. Because I, I think, at least for me, that's the very most important aspect of all this. And then after that, the second skill set that I think is probably at the very top of my list is the capacity to adapt. Mm -hmm. I think if you trade in a way where you can only make money in only set circumstances, that's terrifying because you need to be able to pinpoint those circumstances without fail. And who knows if you are spot on each time, the pressure is supremely high. So the way that I think about that, again, using you as an example, is I would try to create a system where, okay, and I know you have protocols like this, but if you have a trade checklist and there's, let's say, five things on that list, and you know that if you can tick off three out of the five things on that list, you have a 60% win rate over a X sample size. Yep. That instills a ton of confidence. And the way that you create that sample size, in my opinion, is by paper trading, but also paper trading different variations of the same thing. Mm -hmm. That's what gives you confidence. Because when people ask me like, oh, why did you pick that Delta? The short answer is because I've looked at literally millions of variations. Mm -hmm. And I know because of that homework that this is where I need to be. And I can explain the rest of the details off of that, but that's what it boils down to. Um, okay. So adaptability, pattern recognition, risk control is one other one that I would toss in there that kind of goes on with what you were saying then. And that would be just like the ability to analyze data and be able to interpret it, collect and interpret data, because that's kind of what you're doing when you're doing these paper trades is you need to be able to collect large enough sample sizes, know what is meaningful statistically and how to incorporate that into what you're trying to do. Is that fair? Yeah, I agree with that. The 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 only thing I would say is I wouldn't build that up to be more than it needs to be because mm -hmm. I agree with you in general like your ability to analyze as a trader it's 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 like a requisite. Like you're not going to be a successful trader unless you can analyze things. Yeah. So, but I don't think that you need to I don't think you need to have any sort of supreme level of an analytical skills no, but to your no, point i, I would agree with you that yeah yeah i to your point though and like definitely i i agree with the idea of you feel confident in your ability to parse through information and then to feel confident in the outcome or the synthesis of that information i agree that that definitely is important i like that uh, last thing then I think on the points that you mentioned, you mentioned adaptability as being, uh, some, one of the basic skill sets that you think should be developed. How do you develop that? Like, how do you improve your ability to adapt? I think, um, there's several different ways. I think about it in terms of the, the toolbox that I employ. Mm -hmm. 
And I talk a lot about this toolbox because I think one of the reasons why I'm typically so confident in the markets is I've developed about five strategies that enable me to trade any combination of market between market direction and volatility, mm -hmm. right? Market up, down, sideways, volatility up, down, sideways. So there's no pressure on me to look for the specific ideal setup for my only one strategy. My overall approach is this is what I think the market's doing in general. Let me find something that gives me a high probability of interfacing successfully with the market as it is right now. I love that. So the first part of adaptability, the first part of adaptability for me is having the skill set to be able to do that. Okay. And then the second thing is the the trading plan. So each strategy that I have, I have a what I like to call a strategy outline that lives in my trading plan. And the strategy outline is right now exactly how I think the trade would should go. Mm -hmm. And then I also have sections in there that I war game different scenarios. So if I put on a bullish trade and it ends up going down, or if I put on a bullish trade and it doesn't move within the requisite amount of time. So by going through this strategy outline, I am not seeing things for the first time. Sure, there's always novelty. You'll never be able to war game everything. No, but I'm guessing that <laughs> guessing when you do run into those unexpected scenarios, they end up going into your trading plan after the fact. Sure. It's, it's a living, breathing document. Mm -hmm. And the most important part though, is again, like if you're learning to clear a room as a Marine, every single building that you come across is not always going to be the same, yep. but it doesn't matter. Yep. You have the general skill set to adapt to that building and apply that skill set. Same exact concept, both with the strategies, but then also the toolbox and the strategy suite that I have yep. is even though I might typically prefer this short 32 delta when the underlying is doing x y or z i can adjust off of that and say well actually based on my experience i think this delta makes more sense and i'm okay with that so i think feeling confident doing that as well leads to a lot of adaptability i like that man i really do and i think that actually is you just touched on another thing that was causing some of my uh confidence issues this past couple weeks and it, it was something that I noticed with the changing conditions of the markets. Uh, and that was one of the things that I wrote down in my, my journal for things to focus on for this week and the rest of the month was developing new uh, tools for the toolbox to be able to take advantage of the different types of the different conditions that we're seeing today. Yeah. And I mean, to be honest, I also think with you and I've talked to you about this already, but I genuinely think you should consider opening up some wider time frames yep. because the other thing that's going to oh, happen to you at some point that's the other thing i is, was going to do actually is go back to doing some more swing type plays on on stock equities or possibly just the spy yeah, yeah. because i i think for you you need to maintain skin in the game perpetually mm -hmm. otherwise if it becomes too theoretical a lot of people get stopped dead in their tracks mm. and it's there's never a great time to deploy and conditions aren't right. And I can't find my setup and blah, 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 blah. There's a million fucking reasons not to trade. Yep. So that's why the vast majority of the time, I would say like 99% of my trading career, I insist on having some sort of market exposure at a minimum, even if it's just buying and holding an index ETF, maintain 
outlay, maintain risk. Because over time, especially as you become like a more experienced trader, you start to get a little jaded over time because you're like, fuck, man, like this typically works and today it didn't. And now it's three days in a row that it didn't work. This is getting old. Mm -hmm. It becomes easy to go risk off and stay yeah. risk off. Right. <laughs> yeah, I've avoided that so far, at least. Good. Yeah, good. And it's and I know that you do a good job because you strike a good balance, though, between being thoughtful and introspective, but also just, you know, fucking what is it? Fire shoot aim. Like sometimes you just got to put some shit out there as long as it's not going to hurt you. Yeah. To yeah. Keep good exposure. Yep. And that's exactly why I went with the prop account uh, direction, too, is to to have a little bit of risk, but not to the point where I'm going to, you know, blow an account if something goes wrong with it. Like yeah. for the cost of a hundred dollars a month, I can paper trade basically with actual consequences. And and you can deploy, you know, different strategies mm -hmm. that make ideal, you know, sense of the current markets. And I think that goes a really long way yeah. to like giving you decent confidence that, you know, this, I'm giving this the best possible chance to be successful. Maybe it will, maybe it won't, but I feel confident that at least I've structured it the correct way. Mm -hmm. Well, fucking hey, man. Fucking great conversation today. Hell yeah. I'm actually, I just threw in a, a video for you. Um, it's not to go on the show necessarily, but just for you on, I just put this out. It's the ratio covered call strategy that I like to use. It's kind of part of the covered strangle. Oh, I just saw that. Yeah, I saw that come up. Yeah. I. I think something like this could be interesting for your longer term swing plays because the other thing I, I think a lot of traders, they get too sucked into trading derivatives and you forget that there's a time aspect right. to a lot of them. Yeah. So it's really wise to remember that you don't always have to trade derivatives unless there's a reason because you are going to be fighting just the decaying aspect, which is good and bad depending on what side. But if you're on the other side, there's other things that are bad. Makes sense. All right, man. Uh, fuck. Thanks for sharing everything today. Thanks for kind of talking through some of this stuff. I think you helped reinforce some of the stuff that I was thinking about, uh, or some of the conclusions that I had came to. So that's really, uh, really helpful to know that you're on the right track sometimes. Yeah, dude, for sure. This is, I think this is like the, the, the really fun stuff to talk about, right? Like the actual skill set of trading. So I, I love these conversations and I also so love, these are the things too, that nobody really talks about that much on these trading podcasts, but they're probably the things that people need to hear the most. Like most of us are struggling at this when we start out, but we're surrounded by people who are just showing off, you know, gain porn on the internet and it makes us feel like we're doing something wrong, but we're not, those people are lying. <laughs> The majority of them. Yeah. Straight up. Yeah. That is yeah. like literally straight why, up. How many yep. professional gamblers straight do you know? Up. Or would you assume they were just based on what they tell you every time they go to the casino? Man, the casino must lose a lot of money. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Oh, isn't that such a great point? Yeah. I love that. How everybody always does so good at the casino. It's so true. Dude, man, that really just tickles me because it's so fucking true that somehow I'm like, wow, how are these casinos staying in business? All right, you got anything to, to leave the listeners with before we wrap this thing up? Um, the only other thing that I would mention to people is coming up um, tomorrow, there's jobless oh, claims yes. PPI. So there's definitely going to be, yeah, more market volatility based off of that. And then Friday, uh, one last note, we were talking about um, kind of individual consumer metrics, but 
for broader market metrics, we have financial earnings kicking off JP Morgan um, and Wells Fargo, oh, Citigroup, some of the, the bigger names. So that's yeah. going to be a tradable event. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yep. And then we have um, retail sales and import prices. So that's kind of like the broad market version of consumer health. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for the reminder there. All right, folks, but that is going to take us to the end of today's episode. Unfortunately, uh, I'd like to thank everyone who stuck around to the end and also Eric for taking the time to talk through some of the, uh, the issues that I've been running into the past couple weeks. If you'd like to know more about Eric, yeah, thank uh, me. you should definitely check out his website at esinvest.com or you check out his YouTube with the same name. You can check us out at two bulls in a china shop.com. Be back in your ears soon with another exciting episode. Until then, pull that five-star rating like a slot machine and take care. Okay, goodbye. <laughs> oh, that's the best buy we've ever got. <laughs>